Welcome to the New Books Network. Here we go down the rabbit hole again, Audra thought as she unpacked several boxes of manuscripts over a hundred years old. The university research library where she worked had recently acquired a rare cache of reclusive woman writers' papers, much of it fragile. The sensation of diving down into the unknown struck her every time she dug into a new acquisition and passed through the doorway into another world. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the Books Network. And today I'm talking to Lynn C. Miller about her short story collection, The Lost Archive. The stories are set in various cities, different decades and seasons, and contain a wide variety of characters, mostly Americans, who are grappling with loss, disappointment, and loneliness. They're thinking of leaving or returning home, wondering about their choices, facing unresolved family issues. In other words, they're all just trying to get through life. Hi, Lynn. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very pleased. So what is The Lost Archive and how did you come to write about it? Well, I started writing... Um, I, a variety of stories about characters who were in crisis. They were kind of at turning points in their lives. And at first, um, I was just writing, you know, individual stories. And um, then I think I told you that I, I do a podcast myself called The Unruly Muse. And uh, my co, my partner in that, and I perform various things. And we were performing excerpts from my short stories. And I started getting really great feedback on the stories in, from people listening to the podcast. So then I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe I should make a collection of these stories. And um, how would I do that? And after I wrote this story called Archival Footage, which is the first story in the collection, which is all about, you know, what is an archive? An archive is kind of a memory of our own lives. It's, it's the details of our own lives. So I thought, oh, archive should be in the title. And um, so then I started thinking of all these stories as a collection of people and events rather than, you know, materials like you would find in a library. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the stories were kind of accidents. Uh, they started in a generative writing group and then I would finish them later. Uh, but I noticed that they all had this kind of turning point theme, each of them. Yeah. So in the first story, Audra unpacks boxes of manuscripts and describes her own memory of archive to her old friend, Amy. Can you explain Audra's memory archive? You mean when she says to her friend that memory is an archive, her idea? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, well, first of all, she's an archivist, so she's used to you know, collecting things and seeing what meaning can be made from the collection. And um, then she has recently lost her mother and she's going through her mother's things. And she's starting to see all these different facets of her mother that she never put together before. And um, so then she starts realizing how much every friendship, every relationship, including the one you have with yourself, is really an archive. It's a repository of moments that are important. Um, 
events that are important, maybe things that you keep rather than discard. And so she becomes kind of obsessed with this idea that within each of us, there are several archives um, and how, how would they be presented by someone? And mm -hmm. so um, that that's kind of the idea of her memory as archive idea. Yeah. Um, there are several stories about people missing their mothers or talking about their mothers. And those stories spoke to me both as a mother and as someone whose mother is struggling and I did. Can you say more? Yeah. Yeah, I think parents... Pay a, a play a big part in this collection, not just but mostly mothers, but occasionally fathers. Like in David's Harvest, the farm story, uh, the young the young boy David, who's thirteen, is close to his dad. Um, but I I think that starting with that opening story, archival footage, we kind of look to our ancestors in terms of these archives of our lives. You know, we look to our parents. What have they left us? How have they left us? Um, and then you, you're saying your mother is struggling. And that's really a time, I think, when you start teasing some of this out. Uh, I lost my own mom six years ago, and I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out all of the things that she has left me psychologically as well as otherwise. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think I think the parents are anchors for for people in in general, and I guess if you don't have parents, you wonder about what's missing, and and if you've lost parents, you're perhaps missing some motivation or anchor that they gave you. Um, so that's kind of how I see it: is that uh, the parents are just so um, seminal to who we are whether they were what we would consider fabulous parents or parents that are lacking, we still react to them. We have a relationship with them in our heads as well as in real life. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. As, you're, as you ask me that, I'm thinking about all the stories that do have missing mothers in them. Mm. It's pretty I, interesting. So, yeah. So, and almost ex-husband has served a jail sentence for embezzlement, and now he's trying to force his suit to be ex-wife into letting it back in. So it's a moving story. And then suddenly, we're in the next one. It's about an old aunt who's passed away in North Dakota. How did you decide which stories to put where? Oh, that's such a great question, because you can imagine that I really wrestled with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because here I had this... But, big gob of stories yeah. and it's like okay how am I going to organize these because I really wanted the reader at the end of the reading experience to feel like you know the whole was greater than the parts so that somehow by reading this collection something bigger grew out of it and um, so that's why I have the four parts to the collection I was trying to build some momentum by putting the stories against each other. And one thing I really tried to do is have the first and the last story in each of the four sections be really strong. You know, I, I called those anchor stories as I was putting this together. And That's so I interesting. I didn't see that because I read it up. 
continue. Uh, uh, as an ebook, it wasn't clear to me. I, I saw lots of very strong stories. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good that you thought lots and lots of stories <laughs> were strong. But I, I tried to put, you know, the heavy weights at the end of each section from my point of view, which, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, like the Gertrude Stein story, uh, I, I spent uh, over 20 years doing a performance of Stein and performing her work on the stage. And um, that story was really important to me. I was trying to really get at some, uh, the ways that she started establishing reputation and becoming known, and of course, the conflict with her brother. And so I thought, well, that's that's a strong story. So I ended the first section with that story hoping that people would want to keep going. Well, hold on. That is that was really a really important story and interesting and about real people. My thought, my question about that was, how did you research it? You say you've been doing a production of Gertrude Stein. So you already had her under your belt. Yeah, I had been, uh, I started uh, staging and directing some of her stories when I taught at the University of Texas. And... Uh, gosh, I started doing that back in the 80s, I think. And then in the 90s, someone asked me to audition to do a performance of Stein as part of a Chautauqua. Are you familiar with that word? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, it was a, it, the Chautauqua was called Americans Abroad, and there were six characters, all, all real people who had lived uh, largely between the wars and... Um, the six of us toured these performances. So that's when I started really thinking, if Gertrude Stein were alive today, talking to audiences, how would she characterize her life and what would she find were the important things to talk about herself? Mm -hmm. So I did tons of research for this 40-minute monologue that I would do. And then people would ask me questions as Gertrude Stein and then as Lynn Miller. And I would answer differently depending if I was answering as Gertrude or if I were, you know, an answering as a scholar of Gertrude. So I, I had done a lot of research about her. What did and, your voice change? Did your accent change? Um, my accent didn't change too much because she had kind of a general American speech, uh, but my body language really changed, and um, I. She was such a, a definite person, and she actually did a lecture tour of America in the 30s. So I, I had a much more authoritative kind of persona than I would have, you know, normally. So mm -hmm. I, I was trying to get across her sense of herself as, well, she called herself a genius in literature in the 20th century. And, and she actually said at one time, that she invented the new 20th century liter literature. So she was not modest in some ways about her, her project as a writer. And so I was trying to get across that aspect of her as someone who felt greatness was upon her. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I have read some of, uh, some of her stuff, and I'm absolutely aware of it. Very cool. Really interesting that you put a story of, about a real person because the rest are invented people, unless they were friends of yours. Who knows? Yeah, they're pretty invented. Absolutely. Um, okay. yeah. So, um, a couple of times, women 
see their ex-partners. And the thing they think about is how good they look. I had trouble imagining that. So can you say more? That's so interesting that you had that perception. Yeah. Well, like the story you mentioned a little bit ago about the woman whose husband was in prison for embezzlement Mm -hmm. and is now trying to take her house away, in essence, embezzle the house from her. Right, right. Uh, Yes, he's very he's very attractive, um, even now to her, even though he's done these very, you know, immoral things and, and she doesn't want him in her life anymore. But she I think there's a sense in those stories that even when you're breaking up with, with someone or even when uh, you're done with them, you kind of go back in a part of yourself to what attracted me to this person in the beginning? There has to be something that hooked these people in the beginning. And so I I try to give a sense of that. And I don't mean it to only be physical attraction, although it is in a couple cases. Um, It could be charm, like in the story about the guy who gets has a panic attack and so he can't get married, Jan. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, he, he's he's charming. He's kind of funky and interesting to her um, and his humor. But she's going to stay with him, okay, even though they don't get married. But anyway, yeah, I think it's that sense of how did this begin? So if something yeah. is ending, how did it begin? Um, I, I find that really interesting. Here's another thing I noticed. It's not easy ever to write about dreams, but you pull it off in several of the stories. Can you say more about how that fits into the archive? Okay. Yeah. Dreams. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, some of the stories are quite um, supernatural, mm-hmm. like the Usher story that ends the collection. There's there's some unexplained things that happen there. And uh, Pale Blue about the little girl whose father goes away and she imagines wanting you know she wants to send him a letter but she has no address and so she imagines herself where he is um i i think the dreams have to do with what people would like to happen as much as what is happening so there's Mm -hmm. kind of some of the stories almost a conflict between what the person wistfully imagines could be and what they have, if that makes any sense at all. Oh, yeah. 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 Ah, so, um, Albuquerque and the Sandio Mountains come up several times. It felt like not just those places, but place uh-huh. is as important as character in your stories. True or false? Well, place is a character in um, almost all of my stories. I, I mm-hmm. think it's really true. So true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And part, part of that is that um, I was a stage director for a number of years, and so I really think in terms of what is the setting, what are the objects in the room, how are they used, what do things look like? And so some of the stories, of course, are more that way than others. Like the, the North Dakota stories are really about the land, and you really get a sense of the landscape. Um, but I, I feel like you know, we don't live in a vacuum. We live in places. And if we've lived somewhere long enough, or maybe we just fell in love with that place, there are things that signify in the 
the landscape and the the feel of the light, um, the seasons, all of those things to me are are really important. And then you probably noticed houses are really important to me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're they, kind they of more. Yeah. The, well, the house the houses are kind of archives, aren't they? They are repositories. Yeah. Uh, emotions and objects and relationships. So uh, when I was playing with the story, the Usher story, that is a retelling of the oppose the fall of the House of Usher, which I always loved that story as a kid. The house itself becomes kind of a dream palace to the narrator, and um, she doesn't want to let the house go. And her brother is so committed to the house, he won't come out of the house. And then, of course, just as in the post story, that house burns to the ground. But another house comes in its place. So there's something about houses as containers, I think, for emotion and uh, places where things can grow or shrivel in some cases. So I, I guess where people live really interests me. Well, let's talk more about the Usher, the house, the fall of the House of Usher house. Um, that is one of two Gothic-inspired stories. And they both, they both are houses, but they both focus on gardens. The one where Grace pulls Ellen into a garden that's blooming in September, and the garden where the mom had built the labyrinth. So yes. what did you love about the, what was pulling you about the gardens? Well, in both cases, the gardens are magical, aren't they? Yeah. And um, the the story that you're, you're mentioning about the one blooming in September, uh, which has the strange woman who has this three-story Gothic mansion in this little town. Uh, but when you step into the garden, time ceases to pass, it seems. It's almost like it's suspended and the garden exists outside of time. And our, our poor main character finds herself kind of stuck in this garden, and she's not sure how she'll ever get out. Um, so to me, that was her own imagination, um, trying to make sense of this odd woman who comes up to her and says, is it really you? But she's never met her in her life. Right. <laughs> and, and then, and then uh, in the Usher story, the garden was her mother's kind of masterwork. The mother created the labyrinth, and the the narrator of the story, Madeline, thinks that the mother buried her her sister in the middle of the labyrinth and never told her. And so she fantasizes about uh, the magical properties of this mother, and the mother happens to be an herbalist also. And so it's, it's almost like she sees her mother as a a good witch, mostly a good witch. Mostly. Uh, <laughs> we're not sure, are we, whether she's totally a good witch. We just don't know. So last question before the end. Um, a character stirs her coffee while contemplating the question, what is the measure of being human? And then she guesses, compassion, humor. Do you have an answer? Do I have an answer to what makes us human? Yeah, you guessed. I mean, that was you. Compassion, humor, is yeah. that is that right? I know what you're saying. Well, I I I think definitely compassion uh, makes 
makes us human. I mean, if we don't care about other people and how we impact them, what are we doing? I mean, even though you and I know many people who don't seem to care that much about how they impact others, um, maybe not in our personal lives, but, you know, around us right now. But um, I, I do think humor is is something that human beings have. Although animals have humor, I mean, they make their, their, they play. Um, and then there was, there was a time in the seventies when there were books written about be, play being such an important human trait. Mm-hmm. And I do think a sense of play is really important. Um, and I guess the sense of becoming that humans have, I mean, you know, we have, we have these few decades on the planet and we go through phases fairly quickly when you consider how short a time human beings live. Um, and yet we try, we struggle to find a sense of purpose and trajectory in our lives. I think most people do. Not everyone, but... I think uh, so I think that that's something that makes us human, is trying to figure out what is, what is the point of me in this world. Yeah. So, Lynn... What are you working on next? Um, I have a, a novel about Edith Wharton that I'm writing that I've been working on for some time. And um, it's part imagining her writing a memoir that's much more personal than the memoir she ever wrote. She did write one called A Backward Glance. But in my novel, we find out uh, much more intimate things about her marriage and her writing than she shared in in her actual memoir. So the book is kind of a combination. It's a little bit like Michael Cunningham's The Hours Ooh. about Virginia Woolf. Yeah. So so we see Edith Wharton uh, writing The House of Mirth. The, the House of Mirth is a huge anchor in the book. And um, then her failure of a marriage is a huge anchor in the book. She had a, a very difficult and unfortunate marriage. So I really go into that. And that feeds into the House of Mirth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, there's a section that takes place in now in 2023, where a young woman is adapting the House of Mirth for new audiences. So it's one of those kind of hybrid books. And I know it sounds kind of disjointed, but I'm hoping it's not. <laughs> but you're still working on it. You have time. I'm just, working. I'm just working. Okay. That's more than you wanted to know. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm interested. Let me just say, I'm interested. Okay. So thanks for joining me today. It's been a lovely pleasure talking to you about The Lost Archive. Well, thank you very much. And I loved your questions and they really made me think about the book. So wonderful to meet you this in this way. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is J.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking to Lynn C. Miller about her collection of short stories, The Lost Archive. Hope you all have something wonderful to read tonight and every night. Happy reading.